Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting chapter. It's always good to talk about um, death in advance. You know, it's always, and I've, I found this through being in the church for a long time, it's always good to talk about it in advance. For example, um, you know, the reason we don't do eulogies, it's very difficult. It's very easy to say now, today, on this day, when I don't think any of you, um, at least I don't know that any of you have, have anybody that you're just in the midst of this, this first part of dying or somebody who's just died. Um, it's very easy to say, uh, no eulogies. And then, then people say, why is that? And then it's very easy to say, well, people lie. They just get up and lie all the time. In fact, it was, we had said this, I'd kind of been saying this for years, and then about six years after I'd been saying it, the Bishop of Newark uh, banned eulogies. And they said, why? Cause, well, because people just get up and lie. And I thought, well, that's good. I mean, eulogies, for example, make people, they, they're such fine people that they wouldn't ever need a Jesus to save them. So it's easy to say that now, it's very difficult to say that when people are in your office and they're weeping about someone that they dearly loved because they lose perspective uh, of what life was like. Um, that's true for picking hymns. That's true for picking scripture verses. It's true for all sorts of things. It's better to think about things in advance. One of the good things about this chapter, it gives you the long, the long view. I worry most about people in the church who... Um, there's two things I really worry about at a death point. People who don't grieve and um, what happens to people three days after the funeral, which is normally their home alone, you know, with uh, leftover stuff from the deli and um, folding the laundry from all the people who were there and aren't there anymore, okay? So two or three days after, and I tend to call people um, a week after or, or, uh, or two weeks after just to, to see if we can check in or somebody does, somebody checks in because uh, you have this great burst of energy around the death point. And that's, and that's good, you know, it's, everybody's gathered and there is, there is a lot of that. But there is, and I think this is one of the strengths of this chapter, we have everything and then suddenly we have nothing. Uh, and so it's a, very, it's a kind of a remarkable thing, you know, you sort of read through the stages of this. And this is the way that smarter people from a long time ago can already help you. It's just, it's so nice. You know, you have a very limited number of years to try to get it all right. And um, in some ways you have a very limited number of years to reduce your suffering. Uh, and, you know, if you can sort of stand on the shoulders of the people who went before you, that's just a very helpful thing. So, um, anyway, with that, Maybe we can talk about this. What did you like, or what was most striking? Yes, please. Um, it's disputed, uh, you know. So you have to ask your your local Jew. Um, and what did they say? Right. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet other people thought there was some sort of afterlife. They were never really quite sure what that was. I don't know what the official Jewish line is, but... Well, like Christians, there are... What about, yeah, what about right. Jesus? Yeah, right. Well, I think there are official Jewish lines, at least. You know, there's several... Well, even with Jesus. You remember that Jesus, once, when he was too tired to argue with them, 
Uh, he posed the question of the resurrection and the Pharisees who believed in it talked with the Sadducees who didn't, and he sort of just stepped back and let it. It was the great dissertation defense. You know, that's what you do in a PhD dissertation. Normally in a dissertation you have a time limit. For example, my time limit was two hours. They couldn't torture you beyond two hours. The best strategy you can, you can use is to get two professors to fight with each other and sit back and watch it because the clock is ticking. It's, it's ticking. You just sit back and you watch it go. You just, you're on the clock, and then at some point you do actually, it's the one time you get to go, ah, time's up. I'd love to answer that, but the time's up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I had two, in my dissertation, I had two professors who went each other for about 21 minutes, just like tooth and nail. They were just like, you know, uh, which is great. So, you know, and, that, and Jesus, that's an old Jesus thing. So the answer is I don't know, but if, you have, if you're lucky enough to have Jewish friends, you should, you should ask them. It's just, it's in the same way, you know, it's a parallel question to what Jews believe about the Messiah, what they believe about Israel, what they believe about, you know, some people believe the Messiah really will return. Some people believe that it was just uh, a myth. Some people believe it's sort of a composite for Israel. You know, you just can't, it's very difficult. It's as much like Christians, you know. Um, I didn't read the story, but I saw that the headline last week of a professor who said, if they did find the bones of Jesus, it wouldn't change anything. And I thought, what a, what a shocking statement for a Christian to make. If, if, you, if you didn't, you know, Paul says if, we're not if he's not raised from the dead, we're the most deluded people on earth and most to be pitied. So um, there are clearly Christians who don't, don't care if Jesus was risen from the dead or not and still consider themselves within the circumference of the Christian faith, but um, somehow we can't understand them. So I, I don't know, and you should ask. People will be all over the map. It's good, you know, if you can make some Jewish friends, it'd be really good for you, actually. Um, somebody was telling me the other day they got an invitation to get, go to synagogue. And um, you should go. If you get an invitation, you should go. It'd be very good for you. Yeah, I wonder if that's because there's not a belief in resurrection. Or if I wonder if that's because it's so prescribed, you know. The sitting Shiva was a very interesting, a very interesting way of pursuing this. In fact, let's, uh, let's just, let's just um, I don't know, spin to 29 or 28, you know. And this is great. I, if you can hear this, <clears throat> I wonder if you can hear this as the gospel. Now, you know, we're, we're spinning this in a Christian way, as she is. But just at the, at the cool little break thing there, Judaism understands mourning as a discipline. One in which the mourner is not only allowed, but expected to be engaged. And one of the hardest things for pastors, I'll just tell you, is people come in in the midst of their grief who have never thought about death or a funeral, and they try to negotiate what it is that will happen. That is, that is the worst thing you can do. The worst thing you can do is come in when you're most stressed and try to negotiate something you don't know anything about or couldn't even pay attention to if you do know what it was about. I mean, it happens on the other side, too, with my father's funeral. It was a great sadness. Um, I had to engage the pastor three times to get the funeral liturgy. He wanted to make it up as he was going along, and it took three separate face-to-face -face engagements just to get the liturgy which would have been the thing that would have been most comfort to my family. And then he still couldn't help but ad lib in the midst of it. It was great sadness. He didn't quite know what to do either. You should, you know, the church knows what to do. It is a discipline in which to be engaged. It's been tested for centuries. We know what to do. 
And, and, and even if you know what to do at the death point, you often can't do it. In fact, people are often paralyzed. There's this great image of, you remember the image where it says, they, they, they walk you around the block, they crowd in on you so that you couldn't fall down. And if you've ever seen that, think of on the news, these Middle Eastern crowds, where they crowd in and you couldn't, you couldn't fall down and they move you around the block. You have to go. And there, there's no choice about it. They don't say, would you like to go out for a walk? They say, now's the time, back out into the world, here we go. Well, I mean, that is, if you begin with that, and, and the great difficulty for us is, it's beginning with the notion that there's somebody else who's more experienced and even smarter than you are at a very critical point in your life. It's very difficult. We all think that we're the smartest person all the time. But part of, it's the text from upstairs, part of being servant, part of being slave, and then it sort of just went through it, you know, to, your, to Christ, to your fellow man, to the sovereign, you know. Part of that is just to say, my community, and I think that was the most striking thing for me, this whole thing, my community knows what to do. Now, on the other hand, that puts a ton of pressure on us as community. And when one of the weaknesses is we probably stop a bit too soon. But one, one, so one thing to reflect on is if we say my community knows what to do, the question is do we really do it? Okay? And we might think about how we could do it better. There are some things, you know, there's not a better group of people in the church than the women who make lunch at the, at the funerals. I mean, talk about an utterly reliable group that is in the way of the gospel and always has more than you could ever need more than. I mean, that is really quite a striking thing. Um, and even if people don't have an appetite, they know in a tangible way that they were loved. So you just, just kind of think about this. Judaism understands mourning as a discipline. And it's not a discipline you can opt out of. This is just what we do. This is just what we do. Okay, so now we're going to do it, and this is going to be good for you. This is what we do. Okay, just kind of think this through. So at the top of 29... Jewish bereavement marks the days, and then the months, and then all the years after the death. Okay. Now you remember, um, when I was in Jerusalem, uh, I studied one, one summer in Jerusalem, and um, there was a nice guy that I'd met from Gordon Conwell. Uh, it was like a Thursday, I think I went on a Friday morning. Um, to Galilee, and he went off on a bike trip. And when I came back on Monday, he'd been hit by a car, killed, and buried before I got back. Boom, another student. Because that's what they do, you know. That's what they do. So this, this first bit is a fairly short thing. You know, normally the most, um, the, the, you know, the common thing is to bury within a day and not embalm. Now, again, you might ask, or I would ask, we've got Jewish friends, you know, embalming is a peculiar thing. Uh, this is a very strange embalming is. Invented, I think, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, my hometown, by John <laughs> Turner, who was on the bottom and lent space up top to the painter Grant Wood. He was Grant Wood's patron, American Gothic. So I guess John Turner's in the bottom, like embalming bodies, and Grant Wood is up top. <laughs> Painting people, I guess. Uh, but embalming is a strange, I mean, it's a strange, strange thing. I've, Kirby and I have a pact, I think, um, that we would not embalm and bury each other in a sheet in the backyard. But the, <laughs> but the problem with that would be is that people would say, see, he never really loved her. You know, that's what it would be. See, we always knew he never really loved her. But, I mean, part of it is that, you know, the oddness of, and I know why, you know, why we do it. We do it 
There are some health reasons, of course, and there are some travel reasons and stuff. But I wonder if we can, you know, if we can just at least observe this notion of, well, just, just sort of relax into this and see what this would do for you. During these days, these first days after death, mourners are exempt from other requirements of the Jewish law. They're not obligated to attend prayer service or visit the silk or welcome desk because they are entirely devoted to the one commandment of preparing the dead for a funeral. And that preparation is all-consuming. And then a little bit farther down, the community is not obliged to visit or comfort or feed the mourners, explains Rabbi Holub, because upon the burial, I'm sorry, but because until the burial, the death is still happening, so the work of comforting cannot yet begin. And that's very interesting. You might just think back. You've, I'm sure almost all of you are old enough to have been through deaths now or been close to it. Um, Why do you think they want you to wait? What's, what, why do you think they want you to wait? Or what would be the point of waiting? Now, you're not waiting very long. I mean, and then, then you know, Israel versus America and all that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, somewhat. I, mean, I, I learned a lot about how a pastor should behave, or even a friend. Like, we, we just wanted to hear the Psalms, and I guess that, that would have been comfort, too. But I think he wanted to, him to let us do it, and he said he wanted to immediately console. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, one, one cannot be consoled. Uh, death, death gets at you in a way that you can't be consoled um, immediately. One, one doesn't move too quickly to, well, consolation for us can also often take the form of ignoring what's just before us. When I, in my first parish, there was an old man, very kind, and had a very kind son. He died, and I, this is, it was a striking, I came into the hospital, almost classic. He, he's in there in his, 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 his bed, you know, old man, naked, sheet pulled up to his chin. And then his son, um, sitting there looking at his dad. He sort of has me sit down next to him. His son was, you know, the man, the man was, I don't know, 85 ish. The son wasn't quite 60 yet. And we sat there for an hour while he told me the story of his dad's life. And it was fascinating because he was processing all the grief uh, and all the sadness and all the things that he had lost in a good father. And it was an extraordinarily healthy thing uh, for him to be doing. It wasn't, we, we, we didn't sort of rush in and say, uh, oh, they're there now, it's all in, he's in heaven, or, or, or you know, it's all going to be okay. Or you, you don't sort of get out in front of the terror of what's just happened. You know, even for Christians, death is, um, you know, to be, to be torn in half. You know, body and soul get ripped apart. That was never meant to happen. So, so one of the things that, that's important to do is to not start that too soon. You got you to get after what lies just in front of you, and what lies just in front of you is is, is somebody you love desperately who's now dead. Um, 
So there is, uh, you know, this is a way of saying to stick to your knitting. You know, in the first day, you sort of, or the first couple of days, you sort of stick to your knitting. Now, that's not going to be the obvious thing all the time. And circumstances for us aren't, it's not always going to be easy. People die a long ways away, or they're killed in a war, or, um, you know, sometimes the body isn't recovered, all of that sort of stuff. Whatever happens, you need to first engage uh, for a time um, the thing that's just happened before us. Yes, please. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes, right. And all around them. It's relationships and future possibilities. It's 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 you know, all the things that all the things that stop when a person dies. Exactly. Your whole life is upside down. The death of expectation, the death of possibility, the death of future, the death of love to come. All sorts of things die besides the person. It's a, it's a remarkably, that's a remarkably insightful thing. And to sort of let those things die and not pretend like they're not dying because they are is an extraordinarily helpful thing. You know, and if you don't do this, here's the thing, if you don't do this, it does come back to bite you later. At some point, See, I mean, in, at some point, reality has its way, you know. You know, we can ignore things, you know, we can pretend like they didn't happen, we can gloss over, but at some point, reality has its way, and the first reality is that somebody you cared for very deeply, you know, is, is, is gone. It was Donna just made the, you know, upstairs made a similar, do you just want to say what you said to me upstairs? Mm-hmm. But my mom, my mom did it for my dad. 
Yeah, people do all different things. And you, yeah, I think there are laws about embalming here. Yeah, I think there are do. I think for hygienic reasons, you know, because people, well, when burial wasn't quite so good as it, as it was now, you know, bodies would be exposed and disease would happen. And yeah, you're right. There's a medical a medical reason that that often people are. Of course, we're we're locked up pretty tight, you know, at the point where we're. So whether that could really happen anymore. But you are right. It's a, it's a legal thing. I've just and I'm not pushing that too. I'm not pushing that for any other point except that I just observe, you know that that changes the, I mean, I tell you, if you come to my, if you come to my coffin and you say, he never looked better, I'm going to reach up and grab you. I promise you. <laughs> if you, if you lean in and say, he never looked better, I'm just going to, I'm going to just expect it to come because I'm going to just, you know, give you a little tweak just to let you know. Yeah, I mean, you, it's just, it's, it's, but, but that sort of, you know, sort of goes to the next thing, too, which is, which is in sitting Shiva, one of the good things is, what do you, I mean, when you go to somebody, I have a stark, I have a stark memory of being with my father, going to, uh, would have been sort of an uncle on the other side, or some cousin. I remember, uh, I, me I remember this, this, oh, I remember, I said, I'm trying to, I got stories mixed up. When I was in the fifth grade, my dad's best friend, who was, his brother-in-law uh, was dying of lung cancer. We actually moved into their house for about um, six months. Our whole family moved into the house to care for him. And then I remember him when he died, and then I remember going to his brother's house, and, which was odd because my dad had really done the caring for him. And, and, um, but I remember then going to the family house, and I remember, I, I, remember my, I remember thinking to myself, and I must have been in fifth grade, I can remember this starkly being on the front porch. And him saying, um, I thought to myself, now what, now what will he say? And he just said, um, um, in a very formal way. My dad wasn't a formal, formal man. He was a very well-mannered man, but he wasn't a formal man. He said, um, he said, I want to express my deepest sympathy to you, period. And I, I remember how that sort of hung in the air as just the right thing and just enough. And then it allowed everybody to go inside and be family. It's just an interesting thing. And partly that's what sitting Shiva does. It gives you, when you have a discipline, when you know what to say. I mean, do, don't, do you have this? Do you know what to say when you see a friend who's died? I mean, what do you say? I mean, it's very difficult. What do you, what, seriously, what do you say? What's, what are your first words out of your mouth? Yeah, I'm sorry, is, and I'm sorry goes some. That, that's, that's pretty good because that does express a powerlessness. You know, I can't fix it for you, but I'm extraordinarily sorry. Yeah, what, what do you say when people die? Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, the thing is, is there's a way of saying, I'm just so sorry I don't have any words for you that pushes you on to the next thing. And then there is, I'm just so sorry and have no idea what to do next. Right? And part of the thing of having a discipline, a liturgy, if you will, for life, part of that is, is everybody knows what to do next. So you say, I'm sorry, or I'm just so sorry, I don't know what to do. And people say, well, we know what to do. Come on in. And everybody's on, um, on a low chair. Kirby, can you take care? Just, can you go out and just? Um, so, um, so, so look at the top of page 30 then. So after the funeral, you return home, and you sit on low chairs. And you can kind of go read this if you want. And it talks about... Um, how mourners are, are sort of troubled. But look at, look at the middle of the page. They do not leave the house, 
the whole seven days except on Shabbat. Their neighbors bring food at the first meal after the funeral called the Sadat Havra'a or the meal of recovery. Mourners meant to eat an egg whose obvious circular fertility is to begin the slow work of reminding the bereaved that she will live. Right? Now just think of that. If the rule is that you may not leave the house, then you're utterly dependent on the community. See how the, the, the discipline makes you dependent? Because oftentimes people, well, how do you feel after a death? I don't know. Your guys are different. You want to be with somebody or you want to be alone? What do you want to be? I want to be alone too. What do you want to be? You want to be with somebody? Why, why would you go insane? Why? why? That's good. Yes, right. 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 Yeah, right. Okay, good. Right. Right. One more thing to take care of. Yeah. Okay, good. What else? Go ahead. Doing something else. Yeah. yeah, right. Go ahead, just keep just keep going, Kathy. Yeah. Really? How'd you pull it off? Well, he died. He was dying of emphysema. He said goodbye at vacation when we were out there and and got the phone call on a Sunday, flew out Sunday night, and then they said, Do you want to wait till you get here before we, we cremate it? I said, No. So they did that. It was done by the time I got there. And then my sister and brother and our family, well, some of our families, are sat in the house. I mean, they lived in northern Arizona, away from Arizona. They sat in the house for seven days. We laughed our heads off, just remembering what a brilliant and quirky guy he was. We rehashed the alcoholism years and just kind of revisited all that and cried and ate food and just stayed up really late or slept in. And it was, uh, I mean, we didn't like sit on those chairs. Kind of, in a way. I mean, we were, it was great. And then the memorial service was fabulous. And 
Yeah. Right. I'm sorry, but she's a, uh, <laughs> she's a, a lap preacher's kid. Well, that's so, uh, Repair things. Had a terrible life and had a wonderful life, and, and it was it was great. And then after that, you know, my mother'd go out in the back and she'd scream at the Lord in the back of her property, you know, when she was upset. And, and on the anniversary of his death, he'd send little gifts or little flowers and say, "How you doing?" You know. Now we're at the point where November 8th comes and goes, and we remember it, but we don't. It's like he's, you know, he's, he's it's like what? I know where he is. Right. I'm confident of it, and I'm excited to see him again. But it's, it's funny, I'm just reading it. Like, what happened? It's really weird. But I don't know if anybody's ever said this to you before, but you're not normal. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think what strikes, what struck me about this is how the Jews, like I think everybody can kind of keep talking about this. They set up this plan for grieving, and I think back in the old Christian days where people would wear black for a year, it allowed them to have that framework to grieve, and everybody was reminded they were grieving and could care for them over. I mean, I like I know that you write people over the year of death. I don't know how many times you write them, like six times or something? Like six. Yeah, I mean, so you're remembering, but we tend to forget. I was thinking, as I was reading this about some of the recent widows who are still grieving, and maybe they ought to have prayer pals the way our confirmation folks have. I don't mean as widows, but people who yeah, experience right. a close death. Maybe for the year of their grief, we, and beyond even, but you could, someone could be a, Well, just, just one observation about that, and, and I would just, you know, from the other side of the desk, it cuts both ways, which is, it's a very interesting discipline that you appear at the church morning and evening for a year. You couldn't help but bump into people who loved you. For, for 365 days, you showed up in this place, morning and evening, and so the prayer pal thing would be an automatic. You would bump into people. I'm sure that you have this experience. When you come, you automatically bump into people that you love or care about you. And, and, and when you do that, you know, you can't avoid. People wouldn't why are you here? I mean, you couldn't avoid the notion of, or people wouldn't learn that you're there to say your prayers morning and evening. There is, I mean, that sounds like a very tight rule. On the other hand, uh, and it is kind of interesting. And the, the similar experience here of where she wrote about, then the year is up and your whole life is given back to you. And by then, 
you're actually ready for it to be given back to you, right? Yeah. You're ready to go back to the movies. You're ready to go back. Yeah, you're in the mood again. Exactly right. You're ready to re-engage life fully, right? As opposed to being, you know, debil still debilitated in some way. Abby, you were going to say something way back. Right. So, you know, we've had this, I mean, I like this idea of getting it out of us, we're feeling in a healthy way, and right. we don't have to question what it means to you. Right. And one of the things I think we need to be, I think there's room for everything that you said and you said and you said and you said. I think there's a room inside this. I think we normally hear discipline, we hear that as barbed wire. We, we normally hear that as, as a straitjacket. And normally, I think, my guess is, there are Jews like you. And there are Jews like you, and the Jews like you. And the thing is, you know, they, they, they're constituted emotionally, psychologically differently, just like we all are. And normally within the discipline, um, there's room for that. So for you to sit Shiva and say, this is killing me. And I mean, this is only day two. I got five more, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through. My guess is, my guess is that inside that discipline, that's okay. People would, people would sort of nod along and go, you're right, this doesn't fit here at all. Only five more days, you know. But, th but it would be the double thing of saying, yeah, okay, you know, that's who you are. But there is the other thing, uh, the other side of the coin is you, where you might on day three say, oh, maybe this was good for me. And maybe you by day five would say, okay, I've just about got, I'm just about working through this to the point where, I, you know, I just, the, the most striking image was this one that they sort of pick you up and walk you back into the world. I mean, that is, uh, we always ask people at, at, at before the funeral upstairs whether they can actually walk the aisle. I mean, some people can't. You know, they're going to they're gonna go down if you try to have them walk the aisle. And you, they, people don't have to walk in with the, um, we do try to cover the casket with the pall, and we do try to have people walk in, but they need not. That's, that's the easiest thing is to have people seated in advance because some people just can't do it. But this crush of, it's this double thing of you get to be an individual within the greater community. And because the community is there doesn't mean you don't get to be an individual, but it does mean all those people love you and look out for you. There must be a way that that back and forth and kind of works out. Sure, any, any rule, any discipline can be put on you so harshly that you hate it or that it's counterproductive. But that's not our issue. Our issue primarily is that we are so far out of any sort of discipline that we miss all sorts of resources of, and wisdom of, of people and communities that have gone before us. I mean, there's, there is a lot. I mean, remember the premise of the book was, if you do some things, you'll understand. That's not how we're normally constituted. We want to understand, then we'll sign on the dotted line. Really much in the spiritual life is the other way. You, you, you do it, and then it finally comes to you. Yes, please.
Right. Right. That's right. And the great sadness is then not to trust. There's all sorts of ways that people lose their way. You can lose your way in all different directions. One of the ways you lose your directions is to be too self-dependent. She did this kind of on 36. I love this bit. Even in the pit, even in depression and loss and nonsense, still we respond to God with praise. This is not to say that the mourner should not feel what he feels anger, disbelief, hatred. He can feel those things and shout them out to God. God can take it. This is the, and here's the best part. You do not have to feel praise in the intense moment of mourning, but the praise is still true. And insisting upon it over and over, twice a day, every day, ensures eventually you will come to remember the truth of those praises. In the doing of it, you come to believe again. In the doing of it, you come to live again. The opposite may not be true. You may live your, the rest of your life and never come back to praise. You may live the rest of your life and never come back to faithfulness. But in the doing of things, it's this great confidence that the Holy Spirit is in the words and that the words work on you. With that sort of a confidence, you can go forward. Without it, you can't. Yes, please. Really? I mean, it makes sense, right? When you're emotionally involved with something, you tend to have it, it sticks much more clearly in your brain. I mean, there's, there's just something really positive about being sure that the words that you're, you're hearing or singing over and over again are, are true words, not things like, oh, I could never get through this, because that's the kind of thing that would stick for a long, long time. Right. No, it is, it is. Actually, there are two places where I always tell people to be careful what they say, marriages and funerals, because everybody remembers all the time what is said at a marriage and said at a funeral. I, I very much warn people to be careful. They have these great emotions, especially at funerals. Often, it's not unusual for, for families to fight hard at a funeral, uh, and oftentimes um, people will come and say, okay, now here's what I'm, I've been waiting all these years, and here's what I'm finally going to say. Then you sort of say, you might just want to wait about four years to say that, you know, because people will always remember that. And then at my father's casket, then she said, you know, and they can tell you exactly what it was. That actually happens just before brides walk down the aisle, too. And then she turned to me and said, you know, people can recite 
you know, in laughing and crying, right? What, yeah. the, what, the, what those emotional, those emotional moments. Yes, right. 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 Oh, sorry. Yes, I should say that too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, think carefully about that in advance if you can. It's very, very helpful. Yes? Just the saying that they have to do mm-hmm. twice a day, mm-hmm. every day. Right. Right. Is that something that is done at a set time? So in other words, you've got all these people who've had these loved ones die coming in at a certain time to pray twice a day? Or is it like whenever you can get there in the morning? I don't know. We'd have to check a synagogue schedule. I presume that there are set hours morning and evening. That's right. You're going to have, going back to that sense of community, you're, that's going to add a whole different dynamic to the people within your church and your synagogue because you're, and you're, not only are you going to have people connected on that level, but you're going to have different levels of mourning. Right. That's right. And what, and what will that do for you? Kind of play that out now. Exactly, that's right. Right. There's a hopefulness in that. Yeah, it, it, it works. You know, you sort of say, yeah, it's all working. That's right. Exactly. Right. And to be able to say that to them, we can help you. This is going to be all right. Because you don't remember who died. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily remember every day when I was first saved. I loved one died before. I loved one died every morning, every night. I boy, would I remember that Jimmy Brown died sometime every morning. I think there were thir- I think I wrote thirty-seven cards at Christmas. That's a lot of dead people. I mean, that's that's a lot of families, you know. So, what's that? But let me let me put the question the other way. Do you think it do you think it works because it acknowledges it or because it doesn't acknowledge it? Yeah, but the thing is is 
I agree. Well, let me put the question in another way. If we designated such a time, that would be seen as the abnormal time for people, for dead people, for remembering dead people, as opposed to the normal time that those who, who, who have had a, a dead person are being reassimilated into. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, what they're doing, you're, you're suggesting, what I'm, what I'm posing the question, you're suggesting the opposite of what they do. Yes, this is the regular morning and evening prayer of the synagogue. They're saying, no, no, I'm, but no, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm posing the question of whether that's a different thing. What they're doing is saying, y'all come back and be normal, right? Now, to, for you to get normal and overcome the notion that Catherine said about, I can't bear to be going in, you know, the discipline is you have to come every time. Okay, you come every time. You get double dose of normalcy every day for a year. So you get, yeah, so you get, so, is it, so I'm just posing the question. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just pose the question. If we set it aside as an abnormal time, everybody who's had somebody die, come on in, what's going to happen is you're going to get the 37 people who've had somebody die, and you're all going to look around each other. Now, there will be some things like you'll look at Don and you'll say, it's been about a year, and she's doing great, and she can help you. But is there a value in having people who are, somewhat oblivious to it. That is somewhat normal. Certainly everybody's had somebody die by the time you get to be, you know, our age-ish, you've had somebody die. So isn't there sort of a, do you, do you subtract the normalcy? I just pose the question. You know, it's I always thinking it through. Yeah. My question was, you have all the people that had someone die going at the same time. Is it just them or is this like? No, it's everybody. I'm, so I'm sure that it's, I'm sure it's, it's, uh, it's morning and yeah, it's the, old, it's the Old Testament morning and evening, Leviticus and Psalms, New Testament even Acts. I think that means that most Jewish folks don't go to, although I'd want to be careful. I think most Jewish, how many Jewish folks do you know that go morning and evening? I don't know any Jewish folks. Yeah. Yes, I do, and it and that's ref yes, and it's reflected in this. You were quoting from page thirty-two, I think, but it's reflected in this. You know, where she sort of says, you know, you say this prayer. It's a short prayer that begins, "Magnified and sanctified, may God's great name be." It's a prayer actually that appears at several places in the daily liturgy. So see, it's not specified one, two, and then a special time again. So so you do have a special time, but it's it's normal, and then it's also not normal. It's one of the prayers that requires a quorum of ten. You're not allowed to say the Kaddish alone in your house. Rather, you're permitted to recite it only with the community of believers. This, see, this forbids you from being a, a, a self-mourner, a self-healer, right? Yeah? But you think it really 
Right. <laughs> Good, yes. Right. 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 Now let's just, but let's just think about, and uh, agreed, but let's think about, see, what's, what's behind, see, the presumption is, I don't know anything about you, but I've known people who, for example, who are self-healers. They self-diagnose, then they self-look up on the internet, then they cross-check with their self in the Mayo Clinic Guide to Home Health Care, and then they self-prescribe, okay? I don't know if there's any people like that in the room. However, um, having done that, um, I, I know a person once who did that, and then the doctor said to them, and where did you get your medical training? <laughs> yes, so the thing is, is, see, the presumption in that is that we all know what's best for us. Now, I want to take your point, and I want to take Chris's point. I want to take those points as you're grown-ups and you've lived through life. Go ahead. Right. Right. So there's two sides of the same coin here. The thing that you observe is, is sort of basic pastoral practice. The best law and gospel is specific. The best pastoral care is specific, right? So maybe you're right. On the other hand, to see the disciplines or to see the liturgy as what's best for the community or what's work, what works best in the most circumstances or what's tried and true, you know, to see it, to understand it that way, and I, ta I take your point, and I will, I, I, you know, and, and the way it's written for Jews, obligation, orthopraxy, the practice, right, the doing of it. I mean, if you don't do it, you're not a good Jew. That's, that's the way she describes it, right? And so you're trying to escape out from under that, and that's fair, that's fair enough. But I think, real honestly, I think our problem is another problem. I think that in general, well, I just read in the Consumer Reports, Mrs. Mealy, I just read that the greatest frustration for doc doctors, what's the greatest frustration for doctors? Something, I can't remember, 56% or 76% said, patients don't do what I tell them, <laughs> right? Take these, take these uh, antibiotics all the way to the end. Yes, <laughs> okay, right? Now, now, yeah, people have been known to only take them for six days and survive, right? I mean, it is possible, but, but, you know, it's the thing of, I think we're so given to. So I do take your point, and I take the gospel side of your point, which is, you know what? 
is somebody paying attention because after six months or four months or so, I might be healed up. Fair enough. Yeah. Exactly. On the nose, and I completely agree with that. And I, so I, I would say, um, I, I, I defend the year only insofar as what I'm guessing is, people say that that should do it for most everybody. What you're saying is we could, we could, the rhythm could be a little more individualized, to which I completely agree. So long, but my fear as pastor is that people, just like for doctors, is that people self-medicate. Everybody self-medicates. I mean, you wouldn't take out your own appendicitis, but you'll say your own confession in the morning. You wouldn't drill your own tooth, but you, you, know, you decide what's right for you at a funeral. You know, you, you wouldn't, you don't push, you've all got driver's license, but when you get in a cab, you don't push the cabbie out of the way and drive, you know. Almost nobody can put themselves under other people's care. Almost nobody can do it because at some baseline in America, we don't trust each other or we're too individualized or we're too proud or just pick a reason. So the other side is, I take everything you say and I think you're right. I completely agree, but what I'm trying to push for is some rhythm at least, some community, some learning from people who've gone before us. You know, sometimes checking your ego at the door and saying, there might be somebody else smarter than me. No, and I agree with you. You're pushing us toward the best kind of care, which is individualized care. So I take the point. You're right. Right. No, no, that's per no, that's perfectly. No, I think you're exactly right. Okay. I just, uh, I think the thing is, I think the. I mean, I no, think yo, I, yeah. Life is that all of this stuff is so interconnected in their life 
that the whole year of mourning is like putting on your pants in the morning. Right. And you, for them, it's nothing. And it's so much a part of, kind of like the Middle Eastern, it's so much a part of their culture right. that all of this community and all this thing comes so naturally to them, they don't view it as a discipline, which is exactly what we think. Which is, if we can just get to that point where we're all doing that, then we're doing any, and we don't look at it like it's not good. It's just a normal part of being a Christian. Right. It's like it's a normal part of being a Jew. Right. Do that. And by the way, I just want to make clear, I don't disagree with you. I just think you're, you're, I think you're two steps beyond where I'd be satisfied. You're sort of saying, hey, this is like, this is for real disciplined people who got it all figured out. It'll probably, we could keep tabs on that. It'd be okay. I don't disagree with that at all. But my, my experience is normally just the opposite with people. People come in and, and pick, I'll just, you know, turn off for a second. Yes. Right. 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 She still goes after 40 years? Sometimes we over-presume. I think, I think sometimes we don't get a full engagement of our grief. We over-presume. There's a bunch of ways. You see how many ways this can go wrong? It can be so deep we can't bear it. We can't quite find our way. We, we pat people on the back and say it's going to be fine, and we do that on the second day when nothing is fine. I can remember if my brother died, I can remember like two weeks later being in a grocery store wandering around, having just lost my way, not knowing why I was there. It was just like... You just, you just can't, it's just like life got away from me there for a couple hours. I didn't even know why I was where I was. You know, I'm sure I was there for some reason, but I couldn't even remember what it was. I mean, life just, so when we sort of, you know, there's all sorts of ways we can get it wrong. There's so many ways we can get it wrong. And actually, routine is a great way to describe the disciplines. 
It's that you have a routine. You know, that things are, it's an appeal to normalcy. It's a, um, an appeal to your old friends, you know, to your priest who's there. You, see, what you're, what you're doing is you're setting up all the things that say, life still goes on, life is still okay. You know, we can make it through. You're setting these markers up. And if you don't have those markers, you sort of sit at home and you go, wow, what's next? What comes next? Well, how could we better Well, I think that's a great question. Go, let's go, go, Lindsay, and then we'll come back to that. Go ahead. No, it was a great, that was a great little, great little quote. I mean, we made the same argument a little bit for kosher food last time. Exactly. Here's a something and then that's good for you. I don't know. What would it look like? What would it look like to do a better job with this? It would be interesting. That would be a good start, I think. In a tangible way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can tell you on week 37, I don't love anybody. And it doesn't matter what happened to you on week 37, I'm just not interested. No, we're talking about... Well, well, no, I think it's I think it's fair. I think it, it is. It shows a lack of a lack of community. It values yourself above the above the whole. It's it's the individual above the whole. Take it the body down fast enough. 
know, it's just oh, it's been taken to the extreme of, of <laughs> the more atheistic the country, the longer you keep the body. I mean, this is almost like Lenin and like last problem forever and ever. Still looking good, I might add. Yes, right. Yeah, please. Right, yes, right, right. But to try to, we're very bad at either second guessing what somebody might need or remember, you know, trying to put ourselves in that person's shoes and say, three months later, how would I be feeling? And I sure would like somebody to take me out for coffee or something. You know, we're, we're really bad at that. So the fact, you know, we, we're totally open, you know, come and, you know, I'll do anything for you. Right. But nobody comes and asks, obviously. But and, yeah, and but, so then it just, but see that's but that's what a routine is good for. If you know every morning and every just take their example, we don't have to go by it, but just if you know that every morning and every night that person is gonna show up, you're gonna naturally bump into them. Or if you put it on the calendar, I'm gonna check in three three months, six months, nine months, and twelve months from the death date. You know what? If you just do it, see it is, and that's that's just a routine. You know, routine is actually good. Discipline is actually good. We have to hear that as a good word, because you're right. Our natural thing is, hey, you're busy. You've got things cooking this weekend and kids all over the. You know, right? It's. You, yeah. One thing would be to, yeah, we, if we could, if we, you'd have to figure that out. You know, one would say. Yeah, commit. Uh, yeah. That's good, except that I, the, the di most difficult thing for us is people who do fall through the cracks. So that would be, frankly, new people, and people who are, frankly, not that much fun to be around. <clears throat> and the thing, part of the church is, part of the, what the church says is, we're going to give equal care to everybody. And so, in some sense, it doesn't need to go all the way to the committee point, but it does need, and call it what you want, organization, routine, discipline. It does need some measure. It doesn't need a committee. If I never go to another committee meeting, it's going to be okay. If somebody sent me the other day, it said, none of us, are, none of us alone is as dumb as all of us together or something like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, you know, that, that may be true. Now, I was thinking myself about, uh, I don't know why I was thinking about the widows that I know in our church. Yeah, right. Oh, that would be a nice thing. What you have to do, though, what you need to do is push everything to normalcy. And, and routine, see, routine breeds normalcy. So you can't just do it a one-off. 
You need to do it for the next 20 years and every widow needs to know that's what's going to happen. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to reestablish the normal. You're not trying to do the one-off abnormal. You have to somehow you have to. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that it has to be the thing that's done. And anybody who's, if you die, I need to know that 3, 6, and 9, and 12 months out on the, on the first Tuesday of the month, I'm invited in. And, you know, and people are going to expect me to be there. And if I'm not there, they're going to call me and ask me why. Because they expected me to be there. Right? So we need to, I mean, we don't have to solve it today. But you might begin to think about this as a way to take care of each other. You might just think about it. Nice shirt. Watch, yeah. You can ask him, but I'm, now I'm going to take. I'm, right. Right. I'll. T I'll. Yeah. Part of it does, but I'm going to. I'm going to take the other side of the argument too, which is. We're the church and we know what to do. We do know what to do. I mean, this, that's what this chapter is. This chapter is basically saying to you, whatever your circumstance, we know what to do with you. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a tough day where nobody eats or sleeps or gathers. Then you sit on that chair for seven days. Then we're going to have four Sabbaths in a row. And the first Sabbath you get to do this. And the second Sabbath you add to it. And the third Sabbath a little more. And four Sabbaths you're back in. And then we'll see you here every morning and evening for the next 365 days. Right. That I mean, is brilliant. Yes, it's like you're you're still slightly off balance. Your life is still out of whack. And then you get whacked back in. Yeah. But see, the thing is, and you, and you do. But um, see, my thing is, is we become such a therapeutic society that we let everybody self-diagnose and self-treat. And so there is value in listening to people. But honestly, there is value in having people tell you exactly what to do. When I go to the doctor. I don't like to be presented with, I know that doctors tell me this, but doctors give me now three options, boom, 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 and they say, now you pick. And I'm like, how could I pick? <laughs> you know, you're the doctor. This is what I'd like you to do, the one that's best for me. And I'm going to endure whatever it is that you tell me. Because um, how, how do I know? You know, how do I know what to do? And it's true that I do have my own quirkinesses and blah, 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 but you know what? Somebody smarter than me has to tell me, and then it's my responsibility to do exactly as I'm told. And if I don't do as exactly as I'm told, then I'm on my own, but everybody knows I'm on my own, and all you are off the hook is the community. This is our, I always have the choice to be on my own, but I also have the consequence of being on my own. And partly what I'm arguing for is sometimes the community knows best. That kills us. We can't stand that. We cannot stand that, that the community knows best, what might be best for us. Man, is that against everything we believe, right? Except that the community, the payoff for us is the community is divinely shaped. Do you know what's best for you to do? Go to the supper, 1 Corinthians 10. You know what's best for you? Say your prayers, all the psalms, morning and evening. 
You know what's best for you? Gee whiz, what's best for you is to read your text and, and have your devotions in the morning. So, well, we can, I need to get upstairs for, um, the next thing is uh, Grandparents Day at 11, so I gotta, I gotta get up and get set up for that. But, you might begin to pose the question of what that kind of care would look like. But I, my, my own warning, my only warning is, it would be interesting to have the community shape it rather than individual shape it. It would just be interesting. It would be a departure for us, but I think it might be healthy because if you have the community, then individuals have a chance to live within that community, and then you can say, well, that's just Jen, or that's just, that's just Kirby. You know, you can say that and people, people get it, but you still have the structure of the community, and structure is a good thing, all you little Woodstock children. It's all a good thing. I know. All right. Tell ya. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.